I want you to, to begin thinking about something. I want you to think about the thing in your life or the thing that you crave that you just cannot get enough of. Now, I know some of y'all in chapel are gonna be like, well, the obvious answer is Jesus. That was my daughter's answer whenever we came here. But maybe some of you are a little bit more honest. Maybe you're a little bit more like me and you're like, man, ice cream. Ice cream is that one thing I can't get enough of. Any of y'all going down the sweets, maybe the brownie trail, anybody there? Maybe the one thing you can't get enough of, maybe your competitor is watching your team win. Anybody in here, like whenever you're thinking about, okay, what's the one thing I can't get enough of? Maybe it's that one prime drink you have. Maybe because you're all Baptist, you're thinking, man, I can't get enough of line dancing, right? And whenever you're thinking about all the things that are going through your mind, how many of you, whenever you're thinking, you know what I can't get enough of is political commercials, and I'm sad that they're all gonna end tonight. Anybody there? What about like in your mind, you're like, what's the one thing I can't get enough of? You're like, you know what I love? I love a good Baptist controversy. Anybody, anybody? How about a Twitter fight? Anybody like, man, I just love people acting unchristian and ungodly, denouncing and defaming the name of Jesus on social media. Anybody gonna raise your hand with that one? See, when we think about what we need to be about and what we need more and more of, the problem is we are carnal. We live in a sin-fallen world with a sin-fallen mind and a sin-fallen body, and sometimes we don't do what we are supposed to do. And that's what we're gonna be addressing in our passage today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Now, if you're familiar with this, which I'm sure you all are, then this is a letter that was written to the early church, a church that Paul spent a year and a half with his life where he just poured out over them. But as he left and he continued taking the gospel to the Gentiles, he heard word and letters and he just got this understanding that although they were supposed to be about Jesus always, they had allowed sin to creep in. They had bad theology that was prevailing in the church. They had behaviors that were so carnal and so poor that he just had to address all of it. And that's where we're gonna pick up our text after he has not only addressed popularity in the church, sexual immorality in the church, the idea of God coming back and having proper theology with all that, he ends with this challenge. And he says these things which I think are so pertinent and so powerful for us that they need to be a constant reminder for those of us who are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, and I just wanna stop here for a second. Because there's something that I did not always grasp when I was on Seminary Hill that I think we cannot miss while you're in seminary. And it is this. While you are at Seminary Hill, while you are at Southwestern, you are in a unique position that you will never get again, my beloved brothers. You are in the only place where in your life you will be surrounded by men and women of God who are called of God to serve him vocationally for their whole life. You have men and women of God who are serving you vocationally, called of God to give their life for you and your education, your training, your understanding. And whenever you think about what you are surrounded by, the great cloud of witnesses, I just wanna challenge you to do what I missed for two years of my three years at seminary. Soak in every moment 
of being surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses, men and women of God called by God to give their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. It goes on, it says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Whenever you think about this, there are three things that we're gonna focus on that we need to do more and more of. And the reason that we need to do more and more of is because as a people of God who challenge with being spiritual, who challenge with our walk with God, who are influenced by the things of God, we need to remember to always be about these things more and more. The first thing it says is, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Paul is addressing something that was common in the early church and it's common in the modern day church. Ministry is not always easy. Following Jesus is not always easy. Living the Christian life is not always easy. Pursuing after the things of God, the call of God, serving God, giving everything you have for God is not always easy. And as Paul is addressing this, he's like, look, just understand, life and ministry is difficult. Living for God is difficult. There is a challenge, and as a call of God, you must work hard for God and understand that working for God, living for God, serving God is hard work. So be steadfast. Do not grow weary in doing good because as you do this, we have a fight that we need to handle and we've got a battle that we need to rage against war. Galatians 6, 9 says this, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Whenever you hear this, this idea of being steadfast, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, we need to understand that just because we don't get the results that we want when we want them doesn't mean that God is not working. I have no idea why I got invited here. If I'm being honest with you, if you look at the list of preachers that are preaching chapel, I am the one that everybody looks at and says, who is this guy? I agree with you. When I think about this, I want you to understand that it's not about effectiveness in ministry. It's about sticking to it. I wanna give you a couple examples of how we are to be steadfast in ministry. Whenever we moved to Rowlett, Texas, eight years ago, we had the opportunity to, to meet some people, and seven years ago, my son was trying out for a baseball team. He met this guy named Austin Villanueva. Now, Austin was carnal in all of his ways, but Austin was a great baseball coach, and we felt like God was placing us on this team so that we could have an impact in our community. We knew that it wasn't Christian, we knew the people we were gonna be around were not gonna be Christian. And I began forming a relationship with my son's coach. And for seven years, he denied the gospel. For seven years, he denied Christ. For seven years, he didn't change his lifestyle. For seven years, every time I shared with the gospel, he rejected it. And then in January, apart from a personal conversation, he called me up and he said, Cole, I need you to tell me about Jesus. I know you've been telling me about him but I feel like God's doing something and I need to understand what this is. And we met and I remember over Wings having the opportunity just to talk to him and it was at Wingstop that he gave his heart and life to Christ. It was a couple weeks later that he came and he got baptized and I'll never forget the joy that I felt with my friend who finally stopped denying Christ and gave his life to Christ, why? because there is a call of Christ to be steadfast. And don't miss this. 
When you are serving God, as we all serve God, as we're about the gospel ministry, we will give him our effort, we will work hard, and we will not always see the results, but we have to be steadfast because our labor for the Lord is never in vain. A few weeks ago, I was minding my own business, and I got a Facebook message from this lady named Laurel. You're going to see a pattern in my life here real quick. Laurel was from First Baptist Jinx. We had the opportunity to meet her because her husband owned a place called Wings to Go. You, you see the connection here. Like the thing I can't get enough of is wings. I, I love me a good chicken wing. Anyway, so as we were there, had the opportunity to meet the owner. His name was Paul. We invited Paul to church. Paul came and he liked it because we served people in our community. We took care of school children. We took care of those who were poor and destitute. We served our community in the best way. And he liked that, but he had no interest as a Catholic who grew up Catholic in having a born-again relationship with Jesus Christ. I was there for 10 years. I met Paul in my first few weeks at that church, and for 10 years, he rejected Christ. But he showed up to church every once in a while. Seven and a half years later, after I left, after I left the church, I get an email from his wife, Laurel, and she says this, Cole, I want you to understand the investment that you made in my husband was not for loss. He gave his heart and life to Christ, and he was baptized in our church this past Sunday, and I just wanna show a picture of you, of him and our son, who has also become a Christian. When we are steadfast for the kingdom, when we keep on keeping on, when we don't give up, when we don't give in, when we hold fast to the promises of God's word, everything we do for the kingdom of God lasts forever. So please, please hold true to the word of God. Hold firm to the promise of God that we are to be steadfast. The next thing it says is to be immovable. As we look at, at the text again, it says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Whenever you first see this, you might think, okay, well, this is very similar to steadfast. Steadfast is about being the word of God, but this idea of immovable is having a firm foundation, being a rock, being a pillar in your faith and your belief. We as Southern Baptists have been given a gift, and I know that some people don't really understand the beauty of our confessional statement and the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, but I tell you what, it lays out what we believe in a way that we can agree. It talks about the major things, and in this, whenever we're talking about what should we hold dear to, well, we as Southern Baptists hold true to the Word of God, right? That it is inerrant, infallible, the fully true, fully trustworthy Word of God, the perfect guide for our life. Be immovable. Don't move away from the Word of God. What the culture is going to tell us is that we need to accommodate what modern times are telling us is true and right and how people are born, but the word of God is true forever. And the one who was the same yesterday, today, and forever is the one who we can totally bank our life on. We do not ever need to move from the word of God. When we see this, I want you to understand that there will be temptations to accommodate sin in our own nature. There will be temptations for us to blend in with the society. But God did not ever call a believer to blend in. He called us to be set apart, to be different, so that we can make a difference for the kingdom of God. When you think about this, being immovable, when the word of God gives us direction, it is our responsibility 
to hold firm to the fully true, fully trustworthy word of God. And when we do it, the world will hate us. I'm convinced through some things that have happened in my own life that it's not so much that the world hates Christians as much as it is that the world hates those who hold firm to biblical values. Because most people, whether they have given their heart and life to Christ, whether they've come to a point where they know they're a sinner in need of a savior or not, might identify as a Christian. But when we're talking about men and women who are convictional, men and women who are driven by biblical principles, the world cannot stand that truth. This time last year, actually in June of last year, my city, the city of Rowlett, made this declaration. It was actually our mayor. The mayor made a declaration all by herself, kind of broke some of the rules within the city. And for the first time ever, the city of Rowlett had Pride Month. Now, that may not be a big deal in most cities, but in our city, it was a big deal. And I remember getting a phone call from a couple council members, and they said, Cole, we need someone to stand up for biblical values. I said, okay, and I remember thinking about it for a few minutes, and then I had to go because it was time for the council meeting. I stood up, and the statement I made that was in the news was this. We weren't trying to speak out against anyone. We were trying to speak in favor of biblical values. I didn't stand up and condemn anyone. I didn't stand up and point fingers at sin. All I said was, this is not something the word of God holds true. And we don't want to celebrate that which the Bible calls sin. I never mentioned a group by name. I was careful in the way that I articulated it. But because I did not agree with sin, because I was not silent with sin, I got lamb blasted on social media. I had people that showed up and had called the church threatening my life, which I thought was fun, threatening to harm the church, telling me I ought to watch my back, People calling me all kinds of names. Why? Because I held true to the biblical word of God. Understand this. When you live a convictional life, when you are immovable from the word of God, when you refuse to compromise the truth of God's word for a lie, when you refuse to compromise so that people in the world will like you. The world will hate you. And we have the peace of knowing that the world hated Jesus and we don't need to be jerks about what we believe. We don't need to be arrogant about what we believe, but we must in love speak truth and hold fast to be immovable for the word. As we go back to our text, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We must understand the idea that Christ is always calling us to excel in the work of the Lord. God did not send his only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life 
die in our place as the perfect sacrifice, having become our atoning sacrifice and satisfying the wrath of God, raised from the dead so that we could live a defeated life. God calls us to the power that we have in the gospel to be effective and efficient and successful for the kingdom. The problem is we have a tendency to think it's all about us. And where there is no spirit of God, there is no power. Where there is no prayer, there is no fuel. And for us, if we're going to always abound in the work of the Lord, we must give ourselves fully to God. We must be the kind of people who when things aren't going right, instead of pointing fingers at others, we look in and say, God, why are we not effective for you? I mean, how many of us really believe that God is calling churches to die off? How many of us really believe that God's vision for any of his church, for his bride, is to be plateaued and declined? I refuse to believe that is God's plan for a church. I think what God wants is for the people of God to humble themselves and de desperately seek after him. I know what it's like to try and to try hard and to not be super effective. Have y'all ever been there in ministry? I remember about a year ago, we were frustrated with our baptism numbers. We were frustrated because we didn't feel like we were as effective as we should be for the gospel of Christ. And as we kind of gathered together, we weren't pointing fingers at anyone. We just knew this, that we had to pray. We had to seek the, the, the will of God, and we had to seek the presence of God, and we had to seek the, the power of God. And as we did this, something began to move. I, I remember like we spent years trying to get an end to our local school district. And what that meant for us is we had a, a relationship that was formed with a basketball team at Rowlett High School. And we showed up, and we showed up, and we showed up. And over about five years, we really didn't see any salvations. For about five years, we, we didn't really see any true impact on what was going on. And we gathered the church together, and we said, this is something that is not meeting the standard of God of always abounding in the work of the Lord, always excelling in the work of the Lord. And so as a church, as a staff, what we did is we decided that we we're gonna seek the heart of God and ask God to pour out his spirit on us. We begged and we pleaded and we had a season of prayer and fasting and we said, dear Lord, just pour out your spirit on us. Show us how real, show us how mighty, show us how transformational you are. Dear God, we need you to show up because we don't want to get results that make sense in our mind. We want God-sized results. And as we prayed, and as we fasted, and as we sought the heart of God, as we sought the power of God and the presence of God, God showed up and did things that only he can get credit for. We started seeing people get saved. Instead of being the chaplain at the Bible study, which gave us the privilege of having a 6.45 a.m., Bible study for high schoolers, think about that. God opened up the floodgates of heaven in our school district. I'm amazed to be able to tell you that God opened up doors to where this year, our school, our student ministry, and some of them are sitting right there, had the opportunity to lead a weekly Bible study with the, the football team. They had the opportunity to continue 
having a Bible study with the basketball team. I don't know if I should say this out loud, but during the school day at 12 o'clock on Wednesdays, they will be in the baseball locker room with the entire baseball team giving them the gospel, having a Bible study. They're in the schools in the softball team with the cross country after school. We're doing backyard Bibles, backyard, not backyard Bible club, what's it called? Beach club. We're doing men of honor, ladies of honor, and we're taking the gospel to the schools. There is not an open door in our area. Why? Because we're great? Because we're charismatic? Because we're fun? Because we just got it going on? No, none of those things. Because when you seek the heart of God for the will of God, God shows up and does things that only he can get the credit for. I would love for each student who graduates from Seminary Hill to have the kind of mentality, not that we're shocked or surprised when somebody walks out, gets saved, gets baptized, gives their heart and life to Christ, that we wouldn't be amazed when that would happen, but that we would be shocked and in despair when it didn't happen on a Sunday morning. That we would be the kind of people that believed and expected and anticipated, trusted God to show up every time we gathered together and worship. Why should we think that? Because that's what God calls us to. He doesn't call us to be impoverished in faith and works. He calls us by his spirit to be empowered by the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The temptation that we all have in this room is to simply rely on our education. Those of us who have graduated and who have been in ministry for years, maybe decades, have the temptation of simply relying on our experience as well. I want you to understand something. Our education and our experience counts for nothing if we are not seeking the Holy Spirit to show up and do his work in our lives through us, not for our glory, but for his glory. We must be a people who seeks the presence of God because where God is, there is power and effectiveness. That's when we thrive instead of trying to survive as churches. That's when we thrive instead of trying to survive as ministers called of God. And so as you think through this, as you hear and read and study 1 Corinthians, the challenge is clear to be gospel-minded, gospel-focused, gospel-driven in everything we do. That the love of Christ, which compelled us to salvation, that conviction that we see by the quickening of the Holy Spirit that led us to salvation, to experience the fullness of God and the presence of God, that that would drive us that those who are far from God and do not know God as their personal Lord and Savior could come to faith because of our labor, our hard work, because we're the kind of men and kind of women that work for the kingdom as though everything depended on us and pray and seek the Spirit as though everything depends on God. 
What, 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 do, what do we do? Like, what's, what's some takeaways that we could have in this room? How do we do more and more by the Spirit, through the Spirit, for the kingdom of God? I've got four simple things. I hope one of them sticks with you. Number one, while you are at seminary, make meaningful relationships. You're gonna look around and there are people who do not look like you. They do not talk like you. They do not have the same interest as you. You might think they're weird. They probably think you're weird too. But don't miss this. They're called of God and they share in that same brotherhood, that same sisterhood that you have. And you would do well to get to know and build meaningful relationships with as many people as possible, including your professors. Your professors who have dedicated their entire life to growing you in your faith so that you could go out and be effective for the kingdom. Number two, own and obtain deep theological convictions. Be the kind of man and the kind of woman that would refuse to be pulled by things of this world, that you would not lower yourself to being consumed by things like politics and elections as though God is not in control already, as though God cannot use the good and the bad to bring people to himself. Be the kind of person who obtains and owns your faith and your thoughts about scripture that will drive you to be holy and set apart for the kingdom of God and for the kingdom causes of God. Make a decision today that when the going gets tough, you're gonna keep on going. When you face resistance, that you will be steadfast in the call that God has placed on your life. Resolve to give your all to Jesus. Give him everything you have. And at the end of the day, when you have nothing left to give, give him a little bit more. Because it's not by our might, by our strength, but by the power of the Lord that we serve him. Give him everything you have and a little bit more. And finally, engage in a local church. I just want you to understand something. To him who knows what is right and does it not, to him it is considered sin. And if God has called you to the gospel ministry, you need to quit waiting for an opportunity to show up for you to get paid to do a vocational job, and you need to find a church and invest your life and serve now. I think it is an insult to the 47,000 plus churches that give to the CP for there to be seminary students who are not actively engaged in serving in a local church. I think that it is an insult to people like Miss Nan, a member of my church, a member of First Baptist Rowlett who has been faithful in that church for 60 plus years, maybe 70 plus years, a lady who's on a fixed income a lady who does not have much money and in the social security money she has, she faithfully gives of her tithe and part of her tithe goes to support you. Get involved in a local church. And if you're like, well, I've tried, 
I, I, I don't know where to, call me. I would be more than happy to give you an opportunity to serve in the church. I'll pay your gas money, that's all I can promise you. Why would we do that? Because if God has called you and he has equipped you, you need to use your gifts and your talents and your abilities match with the training you are getting to serve his church. Do more and more and more and more for the kingdom of God, for the cause of God. Be gospel-minded, gospel-driven, gospel-focused all the days of your life. When you have nothing left, rely on the Spirit to push you forward. Therefore, beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor for the Lord is not in vain.